Good evening, everyone. So nice to see you at our Ash Wednesday service. Thanks for coming out for this uh, this brief worship service. Um, one of the reasons why it's good to have an Ash Wednesday service is it starts the season of Lent, and Lent is the church season that leads up to Easter. And I think God knows that we can be busy people. Now, Christians have been observing Lent and Ash Wednesday for, oh, I'd say five or six years. No, no, no. no. Hundreds of hundreds of years. This is an old tradition. And Christians hundreds of years ago, I bet they were pretty busy too. You know, it's not just those of us living in the 21st century that are busy. People have been busy for, for centuries. And God knows that. He knows that. We can get into our routines and we blink and all of a sudden it's Easter and we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Ash Wednesday gives us an opportunity to pause and to intentionally enter into a season of reflection. And that's what I want to invite you to do tonight. Start this season of reflection as we lead up to Easter. And I want to read Psalm 51. There's no screens, no fill-ins, no no screen helps tonight during this sermon. So take out your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, get out your phone. Google Psalm 51 if you need to, and you'll, you'll find one that pops up if you don't have a Bible app on your phone. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified. When you judge, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me. From the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. So do we need Ash Wednesday? Um, Ash Wednesday is a, it's a day of reflecting on your sins, reflecting on your mortality, and reflecting on our mortality, um, our lowliness. Do we need that? Do we really need something else that would kind of bring us down a bit? Because there are plenty of things that can bring people down, right? I mean, you can have a bad day, and that will bring you down. Um, you could find a pink slip waiting for you at your office. That'll bring you down, right? There's plenty of stuff that will bring you down. Do we need to focus on all this sin stuff as well? And then you can get turned down by someone that you like, you know? You like her, she doesn't like you back, that'll bring you down. Do we really need to be brought down even more? Is Ash Wednesday all that important? You know, um, a few years ago, I first, you know, heard the a news story of a church that was offering drive-through ashes. And I hear that around here you can get drive-through ashes. You know, you... Is it really that important, you know? Yeah, it is. It is, it is important. It is important, um, and here's why. The lower or smaller we get in our own eyes, the bigger God gets in our eyes as well. So let's talk about Psalm 51 and how we see that in King David. Because King David wrote the Psalms, many of you know. And in Psalm 51, we see a big man, King David, brought really low. Uh, We know, might know the story behind Psalm 51. David getting caught in that sinful act with Bathsheba, a woman who was not his wife. Uh, She was the wife of another man. And, you know, the story didn't end there. He went and had that woman's husband killed. That's King David doing this. Committing adultery, committing murder. That's very bad. That's very bad. Well, the, the Bible's promise is that when we bring ourselves low, that God will lift us up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's the promise of the Scriptures. So I'm going to look at three things to do when you humble yourself before God and invite you. It's this the season of Lent to make a daily practice of this. So one, own your own sin to humble yourself before the Lord. David owned his own sin. He didn't try to cover it up. He didn't try to sugarcoat his sin. Didn't try to say, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. You know, I kind of messed up here, fledged a little bit. It wasn't that bad, was it? He really owned his sin. Look at look at, uh, at verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and I know my sin is always before me. Not just sometimes, not, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Every once in a while I mess up. I'm, my sin's always before me. He really owns his sins. Doesn't make excuses. Doesn't say, boy, you know, it was just kind of a stressful day when that thing with Bathsheba happened, just trying to blow off some steam. 
He just owns it, doesn't make excuses for it. And I thought about David, and I, I thought, boy, if I were him, would I feel too ashamed to go before God with all this? And shame's a real deal. And shame will get us to cover up our sin and lie about our sin and try to not think about the depths of our sin. And as you were praying, as Pierre was leading us in that prayer of confession, I don't know what it was like for you just to have that quiet before God and confessing sins. And, you know, if, if you were like me, that brief time went something like this. You, you thought of something, oh, yeah, I'm not doing that very well. And then that just led to another thought and another thought, and it went deeper and deeper. And you know, we had just, what, 20 seconds to, to do that? You imagine reflecting five minutes on your sinfulness and just kind of recording it out and getting to the depths of your sin. Would you, would you find so much there written down that you're like, oh, gosh, I just I can't even come to God with this? This is just shameful stuff. Well, David came to God with his adultery and his murder. What does this show us? It shows us that God isn't overwhelmed or blown away by any of your sins. You can go with him to the worst imaginable of sins. And it just doesn't stun God, does it? It just does not stun God. And we can think this is pretty bad. God, can you handle this? And God's like, yeah, I can handle this. I can handle this. Let me show you that I can handle that. I can forgive that. My grace is completely sufficient to handle that. And listen, when you own your own sin, so one thing it does is it gets us tuned vertically with God. It kind of restores this relationship. It's the first step of restoring this relationship with God, receiving his grace. But it will transform our horizontal relationships with one another as well. Because when you are owning your sin, you know what you, you know what you, you stop doing? You stop looking at someone else and saying, oh, I can't believe that she did that. Oh, I can't believe that he did that, right? There's a, there's a thought that I think of often, and it is this. If it happened to King David, boy, it can happen to me, right? <laughs> can I go that low? Well, if it happened to King David, it could happen to me. And if it could happen to me, then there's no way I'm going to look at someone else and say, ooh, I can't believe what he just did. It will remove the, 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 the judging, the condemnation that we extend to others and will heal our horizontal relationships as well as our vertical relationships, when we own our sin. So let's enter the season kind of owning our sin. Two, ask for joy. As if you look through this two times, like in two or three verses, David is asking God for joy. I think David realized, I'm a complete mess inside, and God, I know you are big enough to bring me that joy. That will keep me from sinning. You know, Dallas Willard, he's a, passed away recently, but just a great theologian, philosopher um, of recent. And he connects 
joyfulness and sinlessness. This is what he says. He says, failure to attain a deeply satisfying life. Failure to attain joy, in other words, always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. If you're not, if you're not feeling joyful, it's always going to make those sinful actions seem, oh, that sounds, that sounds pretty good, right? David realized, oh, I need joy, so I won't sin against you. So look at verse 8. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. First time he asked for joy. And then a few just phrases later, he starts talking, created me a pure heart, O God. This is verse 10. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Again, asking for joy from God. Now, I want you to think, where is David looking for that? Well, he's asking God for the joy, but where is he expecting to find that joy? It's not in some temporary circumstance or situation. It's not in some action that David can do. It's not, oh, I'm going to go get a hobby so I can find some joy. Where does David expect to find joy? Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit, your presence from me. Restore to me joy, God. Where is he looking for joy? In the presence of God. And that makes complete sense, right? Think about the most painful, difficult situation that you could go through and then think of God walking right beside you through it or holding your hand through it or carrying you through it. If you knew God's presence was with you, you could make it through anything, couldn't you? If you knew God was right there, like you and I are here together, I can make it through that, God. And the promise of Scripture is that you do have God's presence. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he was the one casted away from God's presence so that you wouldn't be. It was Jesus that God hid his face from so that you would know that he will never be hiding his face from you. That's the joy of our salvation. We know we have God's presence. So God is big enough to bring you that joy. Ask God for joy. And three, we look through Psalm 51. What does David do? He offers his heart to God. When we lower ourselves, God seems bigger in our eyes, and we're then able to give our hearts to God. Verse 16, if you'll... Look near the end of Psalm 51, verse 16. says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. God's not delighting in that animal sacrifice. What is he delighting in? Verse 17 says, A broken spirit. That's what you want, God. And a contrite heart. God wants our hearts. That's what God is after, our hearts. Now, what is it that will move someone to give their heart to God. Some people might say, well, maybe a, maybe a destitute 
situation. Maybe that'll get someone to give their heart to God, like, like being miserable in life and wanting more. I need more finances. I need a better job or a better neighborhood or a better outlook on my future, God. Well, that may drive someone to God, but I, I worry. I worry that that wouldn't be something that would drive their heart to God. They wouldn't be coming to God as their lover, but rather as their problem solver, right? That's two different things. What is it that will move someone to give their heart to God? Lack of resources won't necessarily move someone to give their heart to God, just like an abundance of resources won't prevent someone from giving their heart to God. I want you to think about the rich in Scripture. Remember that story of the rich man, the rich young ruler? The story tells that Jesus ran into and told this man who was wealthy, who in his own description of himself says, I follow all the commandments. I'm a a good moral person. What does Jesus ask him to do? Sell all of your possessions. Give it away to the poor and follow me. And he was not able to do that. But there were rich people who were gladly giving away their possessions and following Jesus. There were rich tax collectors that were gladly giving away their possessions and following Jesus. There were rich sinners that, please, Jesus, let me follow you. Let me give my heart to you. So what, what is it if it's not destitute situation that will give, move someone to give their hearts to Jesus? It's recognition of my sinfulness, right? It's the rich sinners that are just giving their money away to follow Jesus. Recognition of your sinfulness. Rich people knowing they had this sin and that Jesus would forgive their sin. That's what may move them to give their hearts away to Jesus. And Jesus says, whoever's forgiven little loves little. Whoever's forgiven much loves much. So here's what Ash Wednesday does. It gives us this moment to consider our sinfulness. Really kind of own that before God, right? And then ask God for joy. And then be moved to give our hearts to God. When we do that, we can discover the depth of the gospel. Tim Keller puts it like this. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, yet you are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. Those two things being true about us. So what I will do is I will pray for us as we think about our brokenness before God, our sinfulness, and also reflect on the grace, the mercy of Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could be forgiven and restored in this relationship with God. And then afterwards, I will invite you all to come up for the imposition of ashes, and there's nothing magical about that. Um, I just put a little ash on your forehead and the, the sign of a cross. And it's customary to use words like, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return as a way just to, to realize our frailty before God, not just our physical frailty, 
but our emotional, our spiritual frailty. We, we are always needing the grace of God to change us and to help us to walk faithfully with God. And then we'll close with um, a song after that. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to remember to own our sin, to ask you for joy, and to give our hearts to you. And as we enter this Lenten season with a sign of ashes, this ancient sign that reminds us of our frailty, reminds us of the uncertainty of life, we pray that you would remind us of the certainty of your love and your grace in the presence. Pray that we would hear tonight the call to repent to you, trust in you, to place our hope in you alone. You have created us out of the dust of the earth. May these ashes remind us of our mortality and teach us again that only by your gracious gift of Jesus Christ can we have everlasting life with you. And we acknowledge that you are the giver of life and that you sustain us by the power of your spirit, and so we pray for your Holy Spirit tonight. We pray for your Holy Spirit to fill those who are bodily broken, who are sick, who are in need of your healing. You care about our physical bodies just as you do our spiritual life, our emotional life. Lord, we pray for the healing of our bodies. We pray for those who are weary tonight, who um, are fighting against guilt and shame, who are very aware of their sinfulness and want to just sweep it under a rug because they um, are ashamed. We pray that you would liberate them tonight, that you would give them freedom of, of, of this guilt, from this guilt and shame, and help them walk anew with you. Lord, we pray for our church, for Hope Church, and not just us, but your, your global church, that we, through the power of your Spirit, will live as you call us to live, doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly, lowering ourselves before you. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus until this mortal life has ended and we feast with you. One day, as you bring your kingdom in full, We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.